Well, do keep that passage open in front of you as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. All right, I'll move centre then. Cool. Thank you. Let's pray before we look again at God's Word. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you that you are a good and gracious God who speaks to us and shows us who Jesus is and what he's like. Help us now to understand Jesus through your word, that we may respond rightly to him and be blessed. Amen. Well, the ship bobbed up and down on the waters of the ancient eastern Mediterranean. The breeze was gentle at first, but then it grew. And then all of a sudden, it seemed, it turned into the most howling gale. The waves rose with the wind and the old ship creaked and groaned. The waves became so huge that they started to break over the ship. A rope parted with a twang and the sail began to flap. The ship started to take water and the sailors frantically bailed the water out of the boat. They turned to the man standing in the back of the ship. Can't you do something to help? They cried. The man spoke to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind and the waves quieted down. And the sailors stared at the man in the back of the ship. He was Nicholas of Myra. St. Nicholas. My oh, friends, you might not have heard that account of St. Nicholas and the storm, but it is one of the historical sources uh, of the life of our patron Saint St. Nicholas. Uh, records, not quite like that, but records that he had an instance where he quieted the storm. Uh, and it was reminiscent of someone else doing that before, which we're going to look at later. Uh, this story is actually the primary reason why St. Nicholas is the patron saint of sailors. You might not have known he's the patron saint of sailors, but he is, and indeed of the Greek Navy. Uh, he is the patron saint of sailors, but we are probably more used to St. Nicholas as being the patron saint of giving gifts to poor children. That's what we remember him for. Uh, and we're used to him, perhaps, of, we might know if we've done a bit of study, that he was there at the formulation of the Nicene Creed. Uh, so he stood up for the orthodoxy that Jesus is God uh, and uh, was a signatory of that creed. Uh, and we also know that he's a patron saint of those who are imprisoned for the Christian faith. But he's also the patron saint of sailors. Now this story of St Nicholas calming the storm is modelled on the actual historical account of Jesus calming the storm which was read for us uh, earlier. This account was written by Mark uh, and because it's eyewitness testimony we are 100% sure it happened and in the way it happened too. So let's check out this story, this account of Jesus. Verse 35, that day when evening came, they said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. 
Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. You can see the eyewitness detail as you read through that, can't you? Just the fact that they noticed that there were other boats with him. Not necessary for the story, but it's written there because, well, that's what actually happened. But the passage starts with Jesus proposing an evening escape. Uh, we know from chapter one, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 that Jesus has been teaching whilst in a boat to the crowd that are on the shore. He's been doing that probably all day. Imagine church going all day. Yeah, I know you're excited as I am. But he would be tired at the end of that, understandably, and probably want to get away a bit. And so he does, and the easiest thing to do is to lift up the anchor and head out across the other side of the lake. And yes, there are a few boats that will go with them, but the majority of the crowd are left right where they were on that side of the lake. Okay, the Sea of Galilee or Lake Tiberias or Lake Galilee. It has several names. So this is an evening escape for Jesus and his disciples. It's a little bit like the man who jumps on a train and leaves his pursuers behind. And they look impotently as he takes off. Okay, a little bit of that kind of thing, but a, a first century equivalent. Now, usually, if you're a sailor, you will know that the wind dies down a bit, typically, of an evening. But not this evening. Look at verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. So this dangerous storm comes up on the lake. Now, when you and I think of a lake, we, don't, we think of something like Pijar, and it doesn't sound exactly terrifying, does it? Uh, but this is a bigger lake, and we also need to remember that they are in an ancient fishing boat, which probably leaks a bit, and they're certainly not in a fiberglass super maxi built for the Sydney to Hobart, which is what we think of when we think of a boat these days. Uh, the real concern was that the boat was filling with water. And if that were to continue to go on, it would sink. The waves breaking over the boat were clearly filling the boat with water faster than their bailing of the water out was going on. Being on any waterway during a storm in a sailing boat can be really scary. Uh, I remember sailing in my youth at Broken Bay in a southerly buster. And at one stage, the boat heeled over until the mast was beyond the horizontal. And my concern, being the novice sailor, was that it would just keep going and we would go completely upside down. And I remember at that point looking at the shoreline, which was about 300 metres away, and deciding whether I would make it or not if I had to swim for it. I didn't like my chances. I didn't think I'd make it. And neither did the disciples. The boat was filling with water. She was starting to sink. In desperation, they turned to the non-sailor in the boat, Jesus, who was oblivious to the unfolding disaster. Have a look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. 
the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now we'll notice that Jesus was asleep in the boat and the stern is at the back of the boat for those of you who are landlubbers. And he must have been on asleep on a raised platform because otherwise well, all that water sloshing about in the bottom of the boat would have woken him up, wouldn't it? You, know, you do tend to wake up if someone throws water on you. Kids, that's not a good idea for sleeping parents. But that's what happens. So we know that he's probably on a raised platform at the back of the boat. Uh, and he doesn't get woken by water. He gets woken by frightened disciples who wake him and they rebuke him, presumably for not bailing water with them, or at least being worried about their situation. It is highly unlikely, by going by their response in verse 41, that they expected to do what Jesus does next. And what does he do next? Well, you can see in verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Jesus stills the storm by simply telling it to stop. And it does. That is amazing power. It's one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, the story of Jesus stilling the storm, isn't it? And we could get really blasé about it because we hear it so many times. But when we stop to think about what he's doing and how he did it, it's actually astonishing. I don't know anyone who can walk out into a storm and say a few words and it just stops. That is astonishing power. If you think it's not a big deal, then let me encourage you next time there's a big storm happening in Goulburn to walk out into it and say, quiet, be still and see how you go. It's not going to go well, is it? Well, you won't have to wash those clothes this week because they'll be wet, but it won't go well. Jesus is showing power that is beyond any normal human power when he's doing this. And in doing so, he's revealing his true nature. And that leads Jesus to asking what he sees as an obvious question in verse 40. Look at verse 40. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Jesus is asking them why they are afraid when he is with them. Now, this is the man who had a paralytic walk just by speaking in chapter 2. He is the man who healed Aleppo just with a touch in chapter 1. And in chapter 1, we saw that this wasn't a one-off or a twice-off. He actually did it heaps of times. So it should have been obvious, according to Jesus, that he was no ordinary man. It should have been obvious that Jesus had God's power. Why then are they afraid when he is with them? Jesus is implying that it is a response 
that doesn't fit the evidence that they have seen. They had had more than enough evidence already, and this is only early in the Gospel of Mark, to believe that Jesus had the power to take care of them. And yet, they didn't trust Jesus. Instead, they feared the wind and the waves. I don't know if you've ever, as a child or maybe as a parent, heard the words from a parent or said them yourself. Why are you scared? I'm here. It's okay. It's that kind of thing going on here for Jesus. Why are you scared, disciples? I am here. It's okay. To be fair to the disciples, how often do we fear things instead of trusting Jesus? Now, we all still show some discretion at times, don't we? This is not a a thing where we go, it's okay, Jesus has got me, I'm going to walk across the road without looking. Okay? No. When the big storm comes, we usually walk inside, don't we? And we get out of the storm. But there are times in our lives when we can't. The storm just happens and there is no refuge nearby. And on those days, we are in the same position as the disciples here. And we have the choice of trusting Jesus with that situation or living in great fear and terror. Brothers and sisters, there is no need for us to be terrified. For in life, and especially in death, Jesus will save us. As surely as he stilled the storm. But the curious thing about this passage is actually in the final verse. Because at the end of the passage, they are still... Scared. It's just that the object of their fear has changed. Have a look at verse 41 on the screens. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples finish this passage scared of Jesus. In fact, terrified of Jesus. They had been scared at the storm. Now they're scared of Jesus. For they have obviously realised that Jesus is an awful lot bigger than they thought he was. He's more than just a healer and a preacher. This guy has serious power. And we're not talking Oval Office kind of power. We're talking God-level kind of power. You see, the disciples as first century Israelites would have known the scriptures. And Psalms like Psalm 77, which we had read earlier, which describe 
the one who has the power over the waters. God. God himself. And so now they look at Jesus and realize who he is. And so quite naturally, they're terrified. I mean, why wouldn't you be terrified of someone who stops a storm by speaking and displays the power that only God can do? And they're in the boat with you. If you're like me, you'd be thinking, okay, they did that to the storm. What are they going to do to me if I step out of line? Their response makes sense. When you realise just how powerful Jesus is, you can see that he might be scary as well. And friends, today's passage challenges our concept of the greatness of Jesus. At Christmas time, we often remember Jesus in a cradle, don't we? And he's cute. And he, for some reason, doesn't cry, according to the songs. Not sure if that was accurate. But it's all very tame and domestic. But the adult Jesus is not like that at all. He's not tame. He is big and scary and has power that is terrifying. What do we do with the adult Jesus? What do we do with a big and scary Jesus? How should we respond to a Jesus who is not small and manageable and comes around once a year in a cradle, but great and terrifying? Friends, This Christmas, it might be wise to become friends with Jesus. To choose his side. To accept his kingship over you. For someone who's big and scary and your friend is actually comforting instead of big and scary. The kind of person you look at and say, I'm glad they're on my side. Or, more correctly, I'm glad I'm on his side. So, friends, if you have never become friends with Jesus, if you've never accepted him as king, then let me encourage you to do so this Christmas. Knowing the real Jesus, it's wise to choose to be friends with someone so great and so powerful. So are you a friend of Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for this 
picture that we've seen of Jesus from the historical account of Mark's gospel. We thank you that it was recorded for us, that we might know what Jesus is really like as an adult. Thank you that he is not tame or cute or manageable. Thank you that he is great and terrifying. And we thank you that by faith in him, we can be his friend and yours. And that greatness is then no longer terrifying. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would trust Jesus. And having trusted, rest in his power and trust him through our storms, the storms of our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.